Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, welcome, everyone. Um, I'm uh, so pleased to see you guys. Thank you for joining us. This morning, we are jumping back into our series in the book of Hebrews called Better. And um, how many tea and coffee drinkers do we have here? Tea? Poo. Coffee? Yeah, that's right. Which is better? Okay, right? <laughs> okay. Right. How many people do we have who listen to vinyl records? Right. Uh, as opposed to streaming? Streaming, right? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Which is better? Right? Uh, every, everyone has an opinion about what is better. Um, my, my perspective about vinyl records is you cannot tell me that the music quality is better because it isn't. It, that's, I know, people are going to argue with me about that, right? But I, I believe that you guys are ritualists, you know. You like the idea of, of handling this LP and looking at the uh, lost art that used to be part of creating an album and pulling that album out and cleaning it and sitting down and putting the needle on it. It's, it's all about ritual. It's the same with the guys that prefer coffee, push button, get an espresso versus the pour over. It's, 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 what, it's what impacts you. It's, it's really about you what you think is better. Now, the challenge with us when it comes to the writer of Hebrews and particularly the idea of saying Jesus is better, it's not like vinyl versus um, streaming. It's not like tea versus coffee built on preference because sometimes older is better. Sometimes newer is better. Uh, but the writer is saying that Jesus is not better because it's a different format. Jesus is not better because it's new. Jesus is better because he is the continuation, fulfillment, and completion of everything that God has spoken from the Old Testament up until now. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. And so as a recap in terms of what we've done, we're now in chapter 10. We're about to enter chapter 11. And so he's told us that Jesus is better in chapter 1 than the prophets. He's better than angels in chapter 1 and 2. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua in chapter 4. He's better than Aaron and all the other priests, including Melchizedek in chapters 4 to 7. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the sanctuary. And he's better than every sacrifice that has been given. And so he's saying to the Hebrews, why would you want to return to your history as rich as it is, and to your traditions, as impactful as they are, because Jesus is the fulfillment of your faith. He is superior to, He is preeminent in, He is completed, He is higher, He is better than everything you have ever experienced. Why would you want to return to Him? Therefore, as we're going to go into it in two weeks' time, lay hold of Him by faith. Live it out. Don't give up. Do not fall away. And do not return to your old ways, even in the light of persecution. And so this morning, I'm going to be looking at the finished work of Jesus and how that work is powerful, prophetic, and perfect. The finished work of Jesus is powerful, and we pick up in Hebrews 10, and we're going to be going through 19 verses, but not all at once. 
Hebrews 10 verse 1, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, in chapter 9, he's talked about the production of all the sacrifices that the priests had to contend with during that time. That's what he is referring to. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? He's talking about those animal sacrifices. Since the worshipers, having once been cleaned, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. He's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, if that worked, why did they need to keep doing it again and again and again? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, when he's talking about shadows, there's like two types of shadows. There's the foreshadowing, and then there is an, an actual shadow. Um, for, I love movies that have foreshadowing in them, like 12 Monkeys or Fight Club or those kinds of movies that when you go to the end of the movie, you want to watch it again. Why? Because you want to see, oh, I want to see where those clues were, where they pointed to something that I was unaware of, but now that I know what the end is like, the beginning of the movie makes so much more sense. And so the Old Testament and the prophets and the law was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would be doing. And the Hebrews would be very familiar with the quotes and the allusions that he is making. It, it, it bolsters his point because he's saying, now we are at the end where Jesus has completed everything. And so I want you to understand that everything, was, everything that came before foreshadowed Jesus. It was... It was giving you a clue about what was to come. It foreshadowed the gospel because it means that no, ma no matter how much effort you put in to dealing with your own past, your own sin, your own pain, no matter how much effort you put into trying to be pure or undefiled or, or sinless. I mean, in those days, you wore a robe, and if your robe touched a dead animal or a leper, you yourself were fully unclean. It was almost impossible to remain in that state. You cannot do that. But the writer is saying that Jesus has changed all of that because we are not only forgiven of our sins, but we are set free from the sin and shame and guilt that those sins brought for us. Our consciences have been cleansed and that motivates us and empowers us to live in a way that brings Jesus' glory. The powerful aspect of that is not just that our sins have been forgiven. The powerful aspect of that is that our consciences have been cleansed and we are empowered by the Spirit to live in a way that brings change to other people. In a sense, the law was like a painkiller. And you take a painkiller and all the painkiller does is it blocks the, um, someone help me, the receptors in your brain that's telling, that is telling you there's something wrong with your back. So you take the painkiller and you think you're okay, but you're not. All it's done is dealt with the symptom. And so all the law was doing was giving you a painkiller every year and not dealing with the sickness of your soul. And we talk about shadow from a foreshadowing perspective. We also talk about shadow and substance. And a shadow is something that has a recognizable image, right? There's my shadow over there. Now, most of you, if you want to meet me, are not going to go towards the shadow, right? Most of you are going to look towards the shadow and think, okay, what, what is making that shadow? 
And so when, when, he, when he talks about Jesus being, uh, the law being a shadow of what was to come, a shadow is proof that something is there. I wouldn't be making the shadow if I wasn't there, right? It's not magic. It's, it's something is there. The proof that something is there, but you cannot engage with the shadow. And you won't be able to have a connection with the shadow because it's a shadow. The shadow has no substance. It has no permanence. It has no power. However, there is a connection. I kind of look something like that. Now, it's a little skew because, you know, like at the end of the day, your shadow is long. At the beginning of the day, it's shorter. But there is a connection. And the connection that he's drawing is between the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of Jesus. I think we need, we need to remember this. There's, there's power in remembering this because for a lot of us, and especially in the culture in which we find ourselves in, the idea is that Jesus has become this metaphor, this universal sign of love and goodness. No, Jesus was an actual body who spilt actual blood, was crucified, whose body was broken for us. That's the connection between shadow and substance. What he's saying is that the blood of bulls and goats that was offered every single year for your sins cannot compare to the blood that was shed on the cross once for all. That is the power of Jesus' sacrifice. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience and empowers us not only in the terms of dealing with our penalty, but empowers us not to sin. And we'll look at that a little bit later. Because Hebrews says in, verse nine, in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, the finished work of Jesus is also prophetic. So stick with me here as I start with verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is Jesus speaking, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said what was above, that neither have you desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. But then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, it's important to recognize that Jesus' sacrifice was a prophetic act, but it's very important to recognize that Jesus' life in and of itself was a prophetic act. Because Jesus came and said, I've come to do the will of the Father, was not just for Jesus to appear and to die. When Jesus walked this earth, he did the will of the Father, showing us what a spirit-empowered life looked like. And so the life of Jesus is as imperative as the death of Jesus. And so what he's saying is not a, just a New Testament truth or reality. What he's saying is that this isn't just about sacrifices. This isn't just about cutting open an animal and sprinkling the blood. This isn't just about that. This is about the nature of your heart. Because consistently, Jesus, even on the, on the Sermon on the Mountain, when he was talking to the Pharisees, is saying, there's something deeper than I'm after. He says, you commit adultery, but I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. And so what, he, what Jesus has said, it's, it's a problem of the heart, not a problem of you participating in these sacrifices. And like I said, this is not new. Throughout the Old Testament, 
prophets like Isaiah, Hosea, prophets like Micah. And in the Psalms, there is a continual refrain from God through the Holy Spirit saying, you give me your sacrifices, you burn your burnt offerings, but your lives are not in line with what I have expected of you as the people of God. Isaiah 58 is full of that. He says, stop giving me these things. And in, in, in those days, you would, um, you would burn a sacrifice, and it would be like incense that was pleasing to God. And, and there, are, there are portions in the Old Testament where, where he's saying, that is like a stench to me. You give me the sacrifice, but the way in which you live your life is not anything related to what I've called you to do. That is not sufficient. That is why it's so powerful what Jesus has done. That's why it's so prophetic what he's done, because he's saying, I have come to adjust your heart, not just the actions that you participate in. The way Jesus lived was as prophetic as his death. And yes, his death was the last and most significant way in which he was obedient to the will of the Father, but continually he was talking to the Pharisees and he was talking to various people, basically saying this, my, my existence is to do the will of the Father. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what are the most important laws? What is the highest commandment? What does Jesus answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Immediately after that, he quotes the same psalm that the writer of Hebrews is quoting. He's saying, I am that person. I am that person, and the whole of the law and the prophets is fulfilled in me, and the whole of the law and prophets is fulfilled in the understanding that once you have the empowerment of Jesus Christ through the Spirit in you, you are able to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. In John, Jesus tells the people that are challenging him, I do not seek my own will, but I seek the will of the Father. The same should be true of us. If we want to live a powerful and prophetic life, we should be asking, what is the will of the Father? What brings glory to God? Not just our simple attendance, not just a sense of aligning to a group of people that claim to be Christ followers, but ultimately, am I loving God with my whole heart, mind, and soul, and am I loving my neighbor as myself? We usually connect the word prophecy or prophetic to the idea of foretelling, and that's true. And within the context of this church, we believe the gift of prophecy still operates today. Uh, a lot of people in this church have been shaped by God using His people to be able to speak something prophetically. But it's so much bigger than that. We have a prophetic message that not only have we been freed from guilt, shame, and condemnation, but we are empowered by the Spirit to speak that prophetic message out. And not just to speak that message out, but to live that out. Obedience, the, the currency of the new covenant is now obedience, not animal sacrifices. And so that's what makes it so powerful. We are no longer the moral majority. We are a prophetic minority. Michael Moore says that of us. And that's very true. We're not known by what we stand against, but we're known by how we live our lives in a prophetic way of seeing Jesus come and claim the kingdom that is rightfully His. When I was younger, I was hired by a uh, Jewish man. I didn't know this at the time, but I was hired as a goy. Do you know what that is? It's a Gentile that is hired by a Jewish person to do things that they are not allowed to do, but still want to do, okay? So for example, he wanted to keep his business open on Saturday, 
Now, he's not allowed to do that, but if he hires me, I can do that. He's not allowed to drive his car on Saturday, but I can drive him on Saturday. And so that's how I was hired in that sense. And I remember having a conversation with him, and um, I said to him, I, uh, I need to leave work early because I have a prayer meeting. And I thought this guy who was religious, you know, who like kind of understood those kinds of things, um, that, that he would release me. And he, and he said, well, how much early? I said, uh, half an hour early. It was a Wednesday, Wednesday uh, prayer meeting. And he says, well, do you have to be there? And I said, well, I don't have to be there. I want to be there. He says, well, if you don't have to be there, then you don't need to be there. So no. And I was to myself, man, if I just said I have to be there... But lying to go to a prayer meeting seems kind of a bit counterintuitive, right? <laughs> but part of what makes us a prophetic minority and not a moral majority is by, by shifting our lives of saying, I am choosing to, because this glorifies Jesus. I am choosing not to, because this glorifies Jesus. This is a choice that I'm making, and I understand that it is shaping that my character, my, I wanted to be at the prayer meeting because it was a shaping tool that God used for me. I wanted to be at the prayer meeting because I know that God wanted to use me to minister to his people. Jesus changes the nature of communion with God from an external ritual that is conducted on your behalf by someone else to a tangible, intimate relationship that is rooted in faith that bears the fruit of repentance and models the coming of the kingdom of God. That's prophetic. Then when people look at our lives, we want them to ask the question, why are you living like that? Not why are you living like that with just a sense of, but, but actually with, with a curiosity. I can't remember who said it, but we, we should be living lives that demand a gospel explanation. But ultimately, the reason I spend my money on this, not that, the reason why I'm generous, the reason why I treat people like this, the reason why I don't treat people like this is because, because I'm, I'm part of a kingdom that is already established but will come in its fullness. And that is what the prophetic nature of our relationship with Jesus is about. Romans 12 Verse 1 to 2, Paul is saying to the church something very similar. He says, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, not to earn God's mercy, but because we have received God's mercy, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Now, I don't have time. I was going to go into how this connects with the writer of Hebrews, in terms of the fact that we no longer need pre... I'm going into it. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is His good, please, oh, sorry, what is good and pleasing and mature. We have the privilege of leading a powerful life. We have the privilege of leading a prophetic life because we point... To him. In a way, we are also a shadow of Jesus. And Jesus' work is finished. It is perfect. Now, the word perfect has been used in these 19 verses, and I want to talk about that word perfect because it means something a little different to what you think it means. 
Verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily in his service, and he offers repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now, I was chatting to John Fox about this the other day. I was saying, you know what's interesting is that most of us these days, the people that I know, sit down to work. I sit down to work, work on my, com you know, on my computer. He sits down to work. He's, he's an author. A lot of us sit down to work. And so the idea of sitting down as an act of completion is not something necessarily that we connect with, right? But sitting down is actually such a place of confidence. I mean, if I, so for example, we sit down, and it says that Jesus is no longer standing, but he's seated. Now, it can be a posture of arrogance, right? It can be like a posture, of, but it also is a posture of power. And my daughter was asking me, he's like, Dad, why do you pace? I was watching a football game, and I was, I was pacing. <laughs> you know, people that are not nervous, People that are confident, they don't pace. They just are seated. They just sit down. It, it gives us a lot of confidence. So Jesus is seated. Jeremy read it this morning. He is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that's important. Why is it important to the audience? Because the priest stands daily, giving continual sacrifices and the fact that Jesus is seated means that the job is done. It is complete. It is finished. That's why the idea of seated at the right hand of the Father is not just a place, uh, it, it's not just indicative of position, authority. It's also indicative of completion. It is done. It is finished. However, what is this thing with a footstool? How many of you guys have a footstool at home? An ottoman, whatever, right? I don't know why it's called an Ottoman. I don't know who Otto was or why it's not an Otto woman. I don't know. You know what I mean? But they're seated, right? And we're relaxed and seated. And then there's with the footstool, right? Uh-huh. This just something different to me right now. I mean, I'm standing, right? I'm seated. But then there's the footstool aspect of it. This is nice, right? I just want to kick off my shoes, you know, just relax a little bit. I won't, I won't. What is that footstool? Jesus is not only seated, but it says that he will receive a footstool, which means the complete annihilation of every dark work. The footstool imagery is key because it still has not happened. And this is how we make sense of the already not yet kingdom. That Jesus has triumphed, his work is complete, but it says here, and every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for once a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus quotes this to the Pharisees, and he says, who is that talking about? And it says the Pharisees could not answer him. Well, the Pharisees did not want to answer him. Because in answering that question, they said that I, Jesus is saying, I am the one 
that will accomplish this great victory over sin, Satan, and death. And at the end of the age, when I return again, I will receive my footstool. That's what we look forward to. There is this element of waiting for the footstool, but it's important that we see Jesus is in a position of power already, waiting to receive the footstool. This helps us make sense of how we live, even right now. God, you're here, and God, you're active in my life, but I'm still experiencing sin. I'm still experiencing suffering. I'm still experiencing trial. I mean, look at our world around us, and we know that the footstool has not been given yet. And we long for the day when we see him not only seated on the throne, but his feet on the footstool, because we get to participate in that great victory. God says to us, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So how do we avoid the same trap as the Israelites? Because part of the challenge is that, is that we are not perfect. We are not sinless. What the writer seems to be saying does, does not often connect with us. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, I said I was going to talk about this word perfected. It's teleos. It means brought to completion, brought to the end. It does not mean flawless. There's a completely different word for that. It does not mean flawless. It means that he brought you to completion. Because, he continues, for all time those who are what? Being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where the forgiveness Sorry, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. We are justified. That's a fancy term for saying that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to pay for them anymore. You don't have to repent of those sins anymore. You are done. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, repented, you are justified as if you had never sinned. But you are being sanctified. Now, the process of the new covenant, where the currency of the new covenant is obedience through the Spirit, and, and we talked about this about four weeks ago when I, when I talked about the new covenant, where the currency of the, of the Spirit is obedience and responsiveness to what the Spirit is doing in us means that we are being sanctified. We are not in a state of sinless perfection, but we are by the Spirit in a place where as we strive as we pursue, as we boldly come, which are all words that the writer of Hebrews uses, which are all words that have effort associated with them, that we are being sanctified by His grace. The new covenant is the Spirit of God living inside of us, empowering us to say no to sin. Titus 2 verse 11 and 13, and the Common English Bible says this, the grace of God has appeared to all men bringing salvation to all people. I prefer the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting 
ungodly lives and the desires of the world. At the same time, we wait for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is possible to have a measure of the kingdom come in your life where your life is completely different to what it was before you came to faith in Jesus. It is possible for the Spirit of God to live in you and begin to shift aspects of your life that were shaped because of your family background, that were shaped because of sin perpetrated on you or by you. It is completely possible for you to be free of those sins, but we also wait for a time for the blessed and glorious appearance of our God and Savior Jesus Christ because he's already seated, but at that stage, the footstool will be given to him because every enemy will be put under his feet. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the way in which we prophetically speak that is not only in our words, but the way in which we live, empowered by the Spirit of God. Lastly, and band, you can come up. Lastly, the way in which we make sure that we don't fall into the same trap as the Israelites. Well, no, let me just say this. Part of, part of the challenge with the Israelites um, is that they, they went through the motions with regards to these yearly sacrifices and it didn't affect their hearts. And there was a sense in which the writer is correct that that, that, that pointed to something f- in, in the future in terms of Jesus. But we can be very guilty of the same thing. We can be guilty of an overdeveloped idea of grace where grace will just cover over it. Not this grace grace. I've heard people say God's grace will cover over that. In other words, I'm not trusting in the new covenant of God that the Spirit of God is empowering me to live a life that brings glory to Him. The only thing that I'm trusting is that God is able to take away that sin. That when I repent to God, that that sin and penalty is removed. Now that is a phenomenal gift. But you know what's even a more powerful, phenomenal gift? Is when by the grace of God, you have been able to say no. I mean, how many of us pray and say, God, forgive me from doing this thing? But how many of us pray and say, God, help me not to do this thing? It's the same power. That's why the writer is saying, do you understand the power of what Jesus has done? Do you understand the perfection of what he's done? Do you understand the prophetic act of what Jesus has done? If we want a life that's powerful, if we want to be able to say no, if we want to be able to stand firm, if we want to be able to withstand temptation or or free or be free from habitual sin, we need to actually understand that Jesus has given us the power to do that. So I want to say now, you said to me on Nick, okay, sure, he has. I think sometimes we ask the wrong question or we make the wrong statement or desire. We say, God, please help me to stop doing this or please help me to start doing this. Maybe the question we should be asking the Spirit of God who through the new covenant by the sacrifice of Jesus is in us is this question. God, why do I desire that? 
Expose my heart. Search me, God. You know me. Search me. I know you have the power to forgive me. I know that you have the power to enable me to say no. But Jesus, what I need right now through your Holy Spirit is to know why. Why am I pursuing that? Why am I in this place that I know that this is the wrong thing to do, but I'm still pursuing that? Expose my heart. Because I know that once you expose it, by your grace, you will come and heal it. And by your grace, you will empower me to be able to live the kind of life that you've called me to live. Father, we we just come before you this morning. We are so deeply grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. We know, Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, right now making intercession for us. And I pray, my God, I pray that instead of asking for your power to remain firm, instead of asking for your power to deal with habitual sin, instead of asking for your power to be able to institute rhythms of grace that we know are good for us, God, I want to pray this morning that you would answer the question, why do I want something more than I want you? Why do I believe this will satisfy me more? God, we just want to be honest with you. I just want you to search our hearts. out my path and my lying down, you're acquainted with all of my ways.
it's important to recognize that we are not participating in a sacrifice. The whole purpose of what Jesus did was once for all. And what we do is we remember. What we do is we participate. It's a reminder that what Jesus did once for all has cleansed us of all our sin and unrighteousness. It's a reminder that his shed blood and broken body not only deals with the penalty of our sin, but breaks the power of that sin. It's a reminder that he is present with us, not in the elements, because that sacrifice was done once for all. But somehow, because of the unity of the body, the head of the church is present with us when we participate in communion. It's a meal that proclaims, it's a meal that announces the single, unrepeatable event that shook history and will forever shake history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just his death. Because it is the resurrected Christ that is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the consummation of this age until he receives his footstool. So what I'd like us to do, those of us that are Christ followers, is to go to the table at the back on the side. There's wine in the front. And I want you to grab the elements and come back to your seats, and we'll take communion together. says that we are seated in heavenly places with him. Just this morning, I I want you to just rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ for you. I want you to take what represents his body, broken for you, for your emotional, physical, and spiritual healing. I want you to take it with faith and gratitude. there can be no sins forgiven. We hold in our hands a representation of the most precious blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. He lived a life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die. His blood has offered us freedom. Take and drink. While we sing, there are men and women who um, are part of this community, leaders who are here to pray for you. If you are caught in a cycle of habitual sin, if there's pain, if there's anything that you need to release 
to God. I want to invite you to do that to my left, to your right. The rest of us, we're just going to respond in worship to the one who's seated at the right hand of the throne. We're going to give him his due. Children, sons and daughters of the living God. we thank you that like Nick said we don't need to pace we don't need to stand Um, we can be seated with you we can be in your presence because Jesus died for us and he is seated there and he has allowed us to come into your presence we thank you so much for the privilege to worship you in community this morning and we pray that uh, we would just be reminded that we are in your presence because of Jesus and we and I just pray that we would desire to to bring that to other people and to share that with other people. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Uh, We are formally dismissed, but if anybody, if you feel like this message is new to you or you feel like you are in a place where you're pacing or you're standing and you haven't experienced what it feels like to sit with Jesus and sit in the presence of God because of Jesus' sacrifice, I'd love to talk with you. Um, For the rest of us, we are dismissed. You can head out through the double doors down the hallway out to the back where we'll have coffee and donuts and go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.